everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, how you doing, man? Very good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Still toasty and hot? Oh my gosh, is it ever? Uh, Actually, believe it or not, early September is the worst time of year for the weather. It is um, uh, the the most humid and just unbearable. So, hmm. uh, so that's the bad news. The good news is we are probably about uh, four weeks away from the first drier weather coming in and our salvation. So we're well, almost there. Power coming back last week was crucial. Pretty, pretty yeah, much we, a high too. <laughs> no, no power for twenty four hours um, was not fun. Yeah, went out mm-hmm. went out during a storm in the middle of the night and then. Uh, we thought it was going to come back during the day while we were all at work, and then it wasn't back. And I think it was what eight o'clock at night it finally came back. So mm. um, that was that was a little annoying, but you know we survived. We're all here. Yeah, it's been a little while since we connected. I think it was actually. Um, I don't think the summer world championships had been raced yet. No, you're right. I think it was just after blank. Yep. So. Uh, we, we, we both got a little busy on uh, sort of unexpectedly. Um, I ended up out of town for a couple of days, but I think that, uh, you've got a, you've got a vacation in late September. I've got one in October. And I think other than that, I think we'll be sort mm-hmm. of, uh, ramping yeah. up towards the season. And I finally got to do my own podcast for an episode. So I know, I, and, uh, <laughs> the response was overwhelming. So I think that this might be one of my last podcasts as a part of the, <laughs> as a part of the team and, and RJ is going to be taking over. It felt totally awkward. Well, what's really funny is that uh, is that well. So you did your your own uh, podcast, and now we're going to do this one uh, interviewing you. Yes, yeah. The, yeah, the man uh, behind the genius. We were just you were saying you were differently nervous for this one, and I'm <laughs> I'm really not sure what to expect. So uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got uh, I've got a, a group of questions. Some of them I came up with. Some were uh, were written in by different followers on Twitter. Uh, thank you for everybody who who sent in some questions. Um, and uh, I think that my questions are, are pretty much broken up into two major blocks. There are the biathlon questions and the non-biathlon questions. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to start with the non-biathlon questions, and then we'll uh, we'll finish with the biathlon ones because uh, I got to make people stick around. You know, right? I got to I know everyone could just hit the uh, you can you can hit the fast forward or the, like the 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 what the plus fifteen seconds one, but um, <laughs> you know, but pl- please, uh, I actually think this is going to be going to be even more interesting than the biathlon questions. Yodley. Through the eyes of, I uh, I've been fortunate. I've gotten to know RJ a little bit over the last what six months now, even more than that. I mean, a mm-hmm. little bit on Twitter, but really, especially since we started doing this uh, doing this podcast, and and uh, I think that you guys you guys miss a lot of the really interesting things because they happen either before or especially after we after we interview or or do a show. Um, so I'm glad that at least my hope is that this uh, this interview is going to be a lot more like those moments than uh, than the rest. You'll get to see. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the real RJ, not the the facade he puts up during the during the shows. You're not helping my nerves here with building up the <laughs> expectations there, <laughs> raising them up. No, actually, so um, you know, I'm I'm actually just going to jump right into it if you're okay with that, and, unless there's Absolutely, something else yeah. you want to hit. Yeah. All right. So um, you know, I'm going to ask you the same uh, same question that uh, we lead everybody off with. So uh, go ahead and, and and introduce yourself. This is introduce yourself to our longtime listeners and and whoever oh, was tuning in for the first time and you want me to go in details on on when i got into biathlon and stuff or uh, we'll hit that later okay well um 
So just a little less than 50 years ago, I was born in Holland in a small little town, uh, Isomouden, and um, lived there for about 20 years, I would say. And uh, probably when I was maybe oh, 16, 18, I mean, I always loved watching sports. Uh, obviously, soccer is a big sport in, in Holland, but... Um, you know, generally any sport, and I and I participated in a lot of sports, uh, either organized or not. But um, yeah, so I also watched a lot of Olympics, even at a young age, and I'm pretty sure that biathlon already stood out to me there. Um, but yeah, so I I, I lived in my uh, parental house for 20 years. Or so then I moved to a, a city in the north, Groningen where I studied geography for a year and then uh, decided that was not it for me. And then I wanted to get into GIS, which is uh, geographical information system. So it's a lot of work with spatial data and uh, cartography and mapping. And so I've always had a affinity with that, um, you know, visualizing data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually had to do a, a four-year uh program in civil engineering for you know reasons unknown to me now but uh, <laughs> that's what I had to do to get into the GIS program but so yeah I I, uh, I worked in that for a long time and and like I said I, I've always I did some graphic design uh, courses and, and that kind of thing and then in 2015 uh, no 2005 sorry I went to uh, Canada on vacation with my girlfriend at a time. Um, and our our goal was, of course, to have a nice vacation, but also to uh, with the intent to see if there would be a place where we want to live. Um, I, I can't really specifically tell you what my um, affection for Canada is and was as a child, but um, I do, there is a lot of Dutch people that that have that, connection with Canada and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the Second World War there was a lot of cities in uh, Holland that were liberated by the Canadians Um, so you know a lot of like my grandparents hosted a Canadian soldier for a while Um, so there was always good stories about Canadians and and uh my uncle had a, a friend in Canada who would come over and play hockey here and or well in, in Holland and that kind of thing. So there was always a positive vibe about it. So I think that kind of stood with me. And um, I I remember getting a, a toque that had a Canadian flag and Canada on it. And I still have that actually. But um, um, yeah, that was I was super proud of that. So I don't know. That's probably where it started. And then when I was 16, we went to Oh no, that was that was the west coast of the U.S. I think when I was maybe nineteen or twenty, we went to the east coast of the U.S. and also parts of Canada. And um, my mom reminded me later when I when I left Holland that that was the first time that I said, you know, if I can just stay here, I'm fine with that. Um, so I think that's kind of where the the seed was planted. And um, yeah, so 2015, um, we were here. I actually we went through Canmore, and I and I looked at house houses there to buy as sort of an investment. Um, and I should have done that because I remember seeing some sort of bungalow for maybe, <laughs> I don't know, say, say a hundred thousand uh, dollars, which would now go for at least half a million. It's just Canmore has been, uh, the price has been going up so much, but 
Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm battling on way too long, but, um, so, so my girlfriend and I came back to Holland. I wanted to really go to Canada. Um, she had some hesitations. Um, and then, you know, for other reasons, we, uh, we were together quite a long time, but we, uh, we decided to break up and that was a big impact in my life. So I thought, well, if there's a time to, you know, make a big step like moving to Canada, this is probably the best time to do it. So uh, eventually in May 2006, I, I immigrated to uh, Calgary in Canada and um, yeah, lived there ever since. I think a year or two, no, probably a year in, I, I met my current wife at a Christmas party and uh, your current wife. <laughs> let's yeah, let's I make mean, sure she well, I don't know how you say it. I like I met I'm gonna make sure she doesn't hear that. Too. Yeah. Um so so I met the the woman who is now my wife. Um yeah and and uh in two thousand eleven I had my first son Lucas and uh, two thousand thirteen I had Elliot my second son, um, they're not really into biathlon. They, they think my rifle is cool, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and they, they've cross country skied and they're, they're into it, but, uh, they're getting to that stage now where they only want to go downhill instead of uphill. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, uh, just before I met my wife, I was actually with, uh, with a guy I'd met in a uh, cross country group. We were looking into biathlon and was talking about, you know, I have always followed it and always liked it. And it's such an interesting sport. And, there was this small club in um, the operating in Camor that we were both going to join. But like I said, I, I met my wife and priorities changed a little bit. And um, I just kind of started, uh, you know, started with a small job that wasn't paying very much. So financially, it's a, it's a bit of a investment. So anyway, I just decided to hold off then. And then I think about a year ago, I was like, I still want to try it. I, I want to. I want to take this some, uh, put some serious time in it. So I called up the same club again. It's called Fast and Fossil. It's uh, mostly for <laughs> older or former athletes that, uh, you know, still have the rifle sitting around and, and want to stay fit in a fun way and, and shoot every now and then. So I joined them and uh, borrowed a rifle for a while and then was able to purchase one from a, from another person on the team. And uh yeah, I've been shooting every every since every Monday, summer and winter, and uh, it it's it's awesome. It's it's taught me so much about biathlon. You know, you see it on TV and it looks impressive, but then when you realize, you know, you're just shooting in a I don't know what it's called, but you have no scope and it's mm-hmm. fifty meters a long way, and those targets are pretty darn small. <laughs> and of course, you know you you know that the targets are small, but when you actually have to look through that little people and and you can barely f- see it it's like oh my how am i ever gonna hit the target and then standing it's you know on the tv again it, they stand like a piece of rock yeah and i'm standing there and i i'm worried that i'm gonna hit something that's not in a range <laughs> it's just you, well, know. And then you think about doing it after after four laps well and that's so i've only won i've only done one race there's like this tour that goes through alberta and uh you know it wasn't camor and people are like oh you should participate and my skiing is is decent like it's you know it's definitely not great but my my technique is okay and um i i started off way too fast so by the time the first shooting came along i was like 
dying. <laughs> the shooting was just <laughs> was just horrible. And it, so you start with Chrome, so that should be your stable your stable <laughs> shooting. And man, that target was moving all over the place. So yeah, it didn't go very well, but it was still a lot of fun. The weather was kind of sucky because uh, it kind of rained a little bit. So not only by the time that I started, I was pretty pretty much soaked already, but it was also uh, the, the snow was just super slow and heavy. So um hopefully this year we'll we'll do another race with uh, better conditions but uh yeah there's you get a like la- uh, last monday i had a standing shooting clean and it's just such a kick you get out of that to to do that and yeah i'm, I'm so i'm really loving it um i'm, I'm appreciate appreciating you know the world cup even more and or the ibu cup or or the junior and youth so um yeah, I don't know. Is that sort of an introduction? A long uh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, uh, thank you for joining us. This was a, a great interview, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on, on the next podcast. Um, right. No, I, uh, actually, I was going to thank you for uh, for all of your hard work over in Canmore, for for all the people you've met and the connections you've made for <laughs> to help us uh, with the podcast yeah, as it's, well. It's 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 really a weird feeling to uh, like the other day. I was just, you know, I'm working on Monday and then I'm going, I get these Instagram pop-ups and I mm-hmm. see um, Emma Lunder sitting in like this little booth <laughs> that they have at the shooting range. Uh-huh. Oh, we're having our practice. And it's like, man, four hours later, I'm sitting there because yeah. that's where I put my bin with all the stuff. And it's just such a weird feeling that, you know, the national team practices there. And I know apparently the the American team comes out there, you know, not often, but Mm-hmm. at least once or twice a year and um there was a, a team from japan over for a while last winter i think so it's it's still considered uh the, the facilities are are a bit old but they're they're really good and the shooting range is just incredible like i i show you some pictures every now and then and it's yes yeah the views and and just the layout oh. is really gorgeous and then there's the the ski loop the biathlon loop that you can do on roller skis um mm-hmm which is really cool kind of yeah, terrifying you the, but you shared the video with me uh, a few weeks back and um i mean it's it, it's gorgeous and you sent me a picture was it was it just two days ago yeah um there's like the this you know the the with the line the purple mountains majesty i mean like the it was it was absolutely gorgeous out so uh you're making me very jealous down here in florida yeah it's uh you, anybody who's counting at home that is my first mention of florida no second i don't know i lost track already so uh, i apologize <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I'm very, very uh, lucky to uh, to be able to just go there. I drive just a little bit over an hour, and I'm right in the mountains and shooting. We've we've seen deer. We've we well, we actually had to chase off the deer from the shooting range. And um, <laughs> there's signs all over the place that there's bears. I luckily haven't how seen pre- one yet. How did you chase the deer off? Because there's one very obvious way, and I'm hoping that's not what you did. No, no, no. No, so th- it's definitely like that would be a, a huge no-no to use our rifles yeah. for that. So um, it's it, it's interesting because we were – so our group is like five or six people that are shooting, and we usually mm-hmm. sit on one side of the of the range, usually on the, on the right side. And they were coming in from the left. And, you know, when they're <laughs> still like 50 meters over, you just kind of keep an eye on them, and, and mm-hmm. you st- you're still shooting, but that doesn't really – scared them off at all so they're probably just used to it or i don't know but uh yeah we so you basically um 
I think uh, they call ceasefire. That means that all the rifles need to be away from the firing line. The flags go, I don't know if we change the flags or, um, but yeah, there's flags that indicate if, if basically a shooting range is, is active or not. And then we just walk onto the range and shoot them into the, into the bush. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I have no idea what would happen if a bear showed up. Cause I, I heard stories of, you know, bears are showing up on the shooting range and, Bears typically don't really care too much about people, especially <laughs> okay. when, you know, if there's no cubs or if they're not super hungry after hibernation, they just, you can yell or whatever, but they're like, eh, whatever, I'm just doing my thing, looking for whatever I can eat. And uh, so you're saying I weigh several hundred pounds more than you yeah. and uh, I well, can I just don't run over you they, if I want to. They don't even bother noticing you. They're you're just <laughs> yeah. like, you're not a threat. So you're kind of like, yeah, like a tree or. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, I, I actually had a bunch of questions written down and, uh, I'm, I'm even, I'm already breaking off from my, uh, from my written down questions. So, uh, I apologize, but, um, I, I, one of the things I wanted to ask is I don't know how much people know about what you do for your, uh, for your day job. I mean, you put, you put a lot of time into biathlon, but, uh, you actually, you actually do work. In, yes. I, in, so in I work for, uh, for the Alberta energy regulators. So we basically, we basically make sure that the oil and gas industry uh, follows the rules, and uh, when they extract oil oil products, that they uh, do it in an environmentally well. I don't want to say friendly, but um, <laughs> within the regulations, let's put it that way, and that they clean up the site afterwards and and bring it back into the original state as much mm-hmm. as they can. That kind of thing. So my job there is, as you are not surprised, a data analyst. I started as a GIS analyst and now I'm a data analyst. So I use a lot of uh, the same tools I use on my uh, biathlon analytics site for, for the uh, data analysis and visualization. Um, but I do that at DAR for, you know, going through the data and finding trends and, and stories that I can uh, tell to management and um, just provide them all the information they, they can have to uh, make their decisions on. And uh, I, you shared with me a story. This is a while back that you talked, we, we talked about this, but uh, at, at some point during your training, you ended up uh, living in South Africa for a little bit of time. Yeah, that was so, as part of my civil engineering uh, degree, I had to do a um, practicum for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could have stayed in the same city, but uh, I was looking to, uh, do that in Canada. Um, and I remember connecting with some people and then basically the, the person in my, uh, in my college said, Oh, we don't have a contract with that, uh, school anymore in Canada. So we can't send you there, but we do have a connection with the school in South Africa. And I was like, mm, okay, sure. That's uh, sounds interesting. So, um, it was a very interesting experience because, uh, you know, coming from a more Western culture where, especially Holland, Germany, it's all quite punctual and everything is well organized. Um, I arrived there and I stood on the airport for an hour and then somebody came pick me up and he was like, I don't really know where to take you, so I'll just take you to the main office. And at the main office, they had no idea that I was coming and what they were supposed to do with me. So they <laughs> dropped me off in a hotel and they're like, we'll pick you up on Monday and we'll 
we'll see what we're going to do with you. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was uh, driven out to uh, uh, a guy who was originally from Poland and he lived there now with, uh, with his uh, South African wife and, and two kids. And uh, yeah, it's, again, it was the idea was I would just stay with him to, to get settled and then moved into a compound or something like that. But uh, I basically lived with him and his family for four months or so. And then the last two months I, I moved to a different place, but, uh, yeah, it was, I, I must, I must admit with regards to civil engineering, I'm not sure that I learned a lot there, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, working on, on, uh, um, what do you call that? Basically there, the, we had this infrastructure for, for water to be cleaned in ponds. Like it would go from one pond to another mm-hmm. and, uh, we, you know, we, we hired a guy to sit in a chair overlooking the pond to keep an eye on the alligator that was in there so that the people <laughs> that were building an outlet of the pond weren't going to be attacked. And one, one story was that, um, I saw, so I was, it's, it's crazy, right? I don't want to go into the whole apartheid thing, but because I was white, I was the, mm-hmm. the uh, foreman, which is absolutely crazy when you bring in a non-graduated student from Holland, but, um, so I was kind of overseeing what they were doing, and then I saw some movement in the water. And I, to this to this day, I still vividly remember looking at the chair and seeing the the guy sitting hunched over in a sleeping position, <laughs> and directly making that connection. Okay, if he's sleeping, then that could probably be the alligator that's we know are sitting is sitting in here. And um, mm-hmm. I think it was, well, I don't know. I rem I, I think it was like three four meters, like ten to twelve foot. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I yelled, get the hell out of there. And then literally like five seconds later, he came to the, to the water's edge, mm. um, probably pissed off at me for scaring everybody else <laughs> away. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we had like, uh, that, you know, that steel they put in concrete and stuff to strengthen mm-hmm. it. Uh, we had like massive bars lying around all sorted out. And then at some point we're. Uh, having a meeting in a hut there and, and looking out the window and all the, the bars were going up in the air. And there's like this troop of 50 baboons <laughs> just playing with it as if there were toys. And then, you know, my first reaction was to open the door and run out. And some guy there, he grabbed me by my neck and he's like, no, we're not going to do that. And like the, the biggest male instantly came towards the hut, like basically telling us to bugger off because they were having fun. Yeah, it was... You know, and then, and then you have that kind of work, and then they say, "Oh yeah, you need to write a report now for your college in Holland." And it's like, what the hell do you write about? Because of course, this has nothing to do with civil engineering. But yeah, it was, uh, it's a it's a totally different world. It's crazy times, man. It's yeah. and we had this massive snake that was laying from one edge of the road to the other edge of the road, and it had two truck prints in it, so you could basically see yeah. where the truck had run over it and why it was lying there but i'm i'm terrified of snakes so uh yeah that was another interesting time but uh and anyway <laughs> this is just life for these guys right you were down there for how long six months you said six months yeah yeah and this is just life this is what they deal with every day every single day but it 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 um i don't know if we have any young listeners but if you ever have a chance to go to a different country and especially in a different culture mm-hmm. um take 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 any opportunity you can get because it's i know it's just so um it widened your horizon so much like i remember things that 
you know, here in Canada, every now and then you see a dead deer along the road because at night, that unfortunately happens sometimes that they get run over. Um, I remember there, if a cow was hit, um, you know, you drive past it, see the cow on the side of the road. An hour later, there's like 40 people around it butchering it and mm-hmm. chopping off the meat and just because, you know, they probably hardly ever eat meat other than what they can hunt. And so if there's a, a roadkill, then that's a whole lot of free meat for everybody. So, you know, all those things, that, that, that just you can read about it, but it just really brings it home. So, yeah. If you ever have a chance to not go in our, you know, Western civilization mm-hmm. countries, uh, I highly recommend it. So, but no biathlon there, as far as I know. Yodelay! <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not aware. Actually, it's a good question. We'll have to look now to see if there's any any biathlon there. They do have mountains um, and snow, but it's yeah. Uh, that's what I was gonna say. Is that if there's my my first instinct was to just dismiss it, but no, there. I mean, they they could they could. I just don't yeah. know that they do. Um, all right. So uh, so now moving on. You you moved to Canada. And you met your wife, uh, you said about, uh, about a year after being here. Yeah. And, uh, I, you, you have told me this story. I just want everybody else to hear it because I think it, it says a lot about you, but, uh, how did you guys meet? Oh, at a Christmas party. Cause, uh, so, so I was invited by somebody, obviously who I hadn't known very long and who, who said, oh, why don't you come to, to my friend's Christmas party? Um, cause you know, you'll get to see other skiers and and maybe make some connections but um so in holland when you say you know our party starts at eight you show up at eight or a little bit earlier or a little bit later in canada when they say the party starts at eight it's like well i'm gonna start my preparations at eight so you know i'll see you around nine nine thirty so i show up there <laughs> and there's literally the host <laughs> and her friend who are literally just starting to turn the oven on to <laughs> to start preparing and there, there's just one other girl sitting there so they're like yeah we're busy so go chat with her and uh so i had a great chat with with dolores and uh she she was there early because she's a teacher and she was in uh well, what we call report card season uh, which are absolutely crazy times for teachers and uh yeah for her it was more like well i, I can't stay long so i'm just going to go early so yeah, we, we chatted for, I don't know, hour and a half or so and she had to leave and, um, yeah, had a really nice time. And then we met each other again, uh, at a, uh, new year's party that same winter and asked for a number and went to, uh, being married for over 10 years and having two kids and yeah, so, it seems like it's worked so, out pretty well. It was a good Christmas party. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh, one to remember. It feels like a, like a, I don't know if you guys have the Hallmark channel, uh, but um, uh, it sounds like a, a Hallmark Christmas movie that you would, uh, <laughs> you would see around here around, uh, around that time of year. Um, and then uh, your, your boys are 11 and eight. Is that correct? Yeah. The young one is turning nine the end of this month. So Yes. Yeah. And so, so it's the four of you guys. And, uh, what do y'all do for, for fun? Like if you guys have a, uh, uh, vacation, you guys are just hanging out on the weekend. What are you guys doing? Um, we're pretty active, not as active as Dolores and I would like to be. Cause like I said, the kids are at that stage where they only want to 
do stuff that they don't have to uh, work for. But um, yeah, we go for bike rides. Um, typically, somewhere between Christmas and New Year's, we we go to Mexico for for a week to escape from the minus thirty Celsius. <laughs> um, and then we just you know hang on the beach, but not hanging in the sense of laying down because boys both boys are pretty active. So you know anything from building sandcastles to renting a surfboard or something like that making day trips um none of us are really i'm probably the the most how would i say that i don't want to say lazy but i especially on vacation i'm the one who probably wants to relax most mm-hmm. uh my wife is a busy bee like she can't sit still and she's always she always sees things to do uh <laughs> either being in the house or not or or just yeah. you know people to visit things to uh to visit etc uh, my kids are are pretty active so yeah and then during the week uh, i coach my my younger son uh his soccer team um and go to his practices and that kind of thing they just started uh well they've been skateboarding both my kids have been skateboarding for a while and i was getting to the point where it's like well if i have to go to skate parks and they have the local uh rink here that's concrete floor so they have a kind of a skate park in there and i'm like if i'm gonna go with them i'm either gonna sit on a on a bench for an hour or two or i might as well just participate so i got the uh the oldest skateboard that we had and all wrapped up in knee pads and my <laughs> elbow pads from hockey and an old hockey helmet and can i we, look like a we, complete geek but i don't can we post I, that picture i'll think about that it's, it's, uh, it's actually on youtube but i'm not sure if i'm gonna send uh, my username on youtube but uh yeah, it's but it's fun. It's um, I I used to skateboard as a kid, uh, but yeah, that's a little while while ago, and uh, it's pretty darn hard to get into. And my hip is sore, and my knee is sore, and it's uh, <laughs> maybe I'm taking it a little too fast, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm enjoying it. It's it's way more fun to be skating with them than just sitting on a bench and you know, basically what everybody else does as well we just start staring at your phone and yeah chatting with the kids when they fly by but uh yeah so that's kind of what we do on a day-to-day basis yes so uh biathlon is uh, a big part of your life now but i know that in the past you have mentioned hockey you've mentioned baseball um so can you tell us a little bit about uh really what your how you got into those what your involvement with those and and sort of the things that you uh mm-hmm. you did with those sports yeah, so um, I would say maybe about 10, 10 years ago, um, I I kind of felt like, like I like my job, but it can be a little boring sometimes working with the same oil and gas related data. So I was just looking to, uh, I'm always a big believer if you want to learn a tool, well, especially like a software tool that that works with data to do it with data that you're interested in so i just looked at at the time i'm i'm not a huge baseball follower but i i kind of like it every now and then and uh i thought well baseball is probably the sport where there's a lot of data easily accessible so i started with that and then did some uh some dashboards on on uh i don't know like how far hitters hit, that kind of thing, and then applied it to some fantasy baseball. And um, one thing that is uh, in my character is that if I do something, I do it really, really well. 
or maybe not well, but I, I go very deep in finding out the ins and outs of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I actually went to a, uh, fantasy baseball conference in, I think it was in Phoenix. Um, huh. you know, to just meet other data geeks and that yeah. kind of thing. But then before that, a couple of weeks before that, I, for work, had to go to Vegas for a conference in Tableau, which is the, the software that I use for the analysis and visualization. And I met a Canadian there from Toronto who was talking all about how he's using Tableau or trying to use Tableau for hockey data. So while I was in Phoenix for the fantasy baseball, I was helping this guy from Toronto with hockey data. So that's how I got into hockey and then got into fantasy hockey. And I mm-hmm. went to two uh, hockey analytics conferences uh, where I actually, well, I didn't, I wasn't a speaker, like a guest speaker, but they had these, um, I forgot what they call, but like sessions where everybody that wants to talk about something related to hockey and analytics can talk about it for 10 minutes or something like that. So um, I did that, which was a, I, I'm not a, I don't, I, I think I'm okay as a public speaker in the sense of um, I, I did some uh, courses on presentation design, that kind of thing. And I, I, I think it's interesting to, to present, but I'm very nervous in front of people. Um, but yeah. So I did that to, to kind of get more comfortable with that. But um, I wasn't uh, really keen on the sort of the crowd around hockey analytics and uh I don't know. I also not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those people, but I just thought it was very overcrowded and, and just so many mm-hmm. people into it and stuff. And uh, so I wanted to do something that was less popular, but still of my interest. And that's how I kind of landed on uh, biathlon. And um, if people listen to the previous episode on data, um, yeah, I started with literally copy pasting everything sheet by sheet from a PDF <laughs> and um, again, I'm going to mention him again, real biathlon, um, just did some amazing work to make that data available. Um, and that really opened up the door for me because then all of a sudden I had, you know, 20 years of biathlon data and it was very unexplored. Like he, he's done amazing work, uh, on his website and making it all available there. But other than that, there weren't too many people using that data other than teams that you never really saw anything from. So, um, it, it was a, a fun learning curve to really understand the IBU data as it being, as it's being made available and how to generate their PDFs and that kind of thing. Um, so lots of, uh, lessons that I hope to share. I hoped was clear sharing last week, uh, when people are interested in starting with that data, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know, like I. Like it's the same with this podcast. I think it's fantastic and and humbling that there's actually people listening to us and there, that there's actually people seeing my visualizations and and providing feedback or asking questions or whatever it is. But in the end, I still do it because I just think it's a lot of fun. And and I like you know, um, I like going deeper than. I'll, I'll start with something simple, but then I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that generates mm-hmm. a question and I go in deeper and then go deeper and go in deeper and then run into the data issues. And then um, like that, that work I did with the um, uh, basically the prediction based on previous results. 
mm-hmm. that took a lot of work. Like there was no tremendous kidding. amount of work and, and, you know, a lot of, oh crap, I, I did something to the data, you know, two days ago that I did wrong. So now I have to basically redo those yeah. two days. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, in the end, I just, that, that's kind of, if I'm not outside, uh, playing with the kids or, or doing sports or whatever, that's, I like, that's what I like doing just to so, just go from that mush of data to, to something that hopefully is, uh, clear to understand in a, in a visual way. And we all greatly appreciate it. <laughs> it makes, uh, it makes biathlon much more, uh, I, at least for me, it makes it more enjoyable sort of being able to look at it in, in different perspectives. But um, should we all be concerned? Should we be worried that uh, you were, you did you did baseball and you did hockey and now you're in biathlon? You might be leaving us for another sport. Like you might be jumping over to, I don't know, uh, analyze the, uh, I don't know what would be next. I don't know. I've, I've, I felt far more invested in biathlon also because I've just followed this along and always... Mm-hmm. It's just weird with biathlon because it has such a clear break in the summer that, you know, there's plenty of times you could ask me what's your favorite sport and I wouldn't even think of biathlon. Mm -hmm. But then when I see the first race, it's like in front of my mind, left, front, center. Mm -hmm. It's that I I realize why I love it. Um, And that's, you know, why probably also why I'm not uh, tweeting as much in the summer. It's um, other than being busy, but. It just, uh, I, I think the summer biathlon is great and I actually really like doing it myself, but um, it's just not the real thing, if you can say that. Uh-huh. Um, so that's why, the, the, like the interest is still there, but I I just do a lot of work that a lot of people don't notice because I'll, I'll build something and look at it. And I'm like, nah, that's just not worth it. So I just don't post it, but can uh-huh. still put a couple of days of work in it. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I totally lost track of your original question. To be, to be honest, no. My question was just: Are you are you ever going to leave us for a different oh, yeah, sport? No, are you gonna... so, no, because I I have looked at other sports too. Like I'm still interested in soccer, but it's just way too much. Um, other people aren't are out there doing it. Um, rugby is another sport I really appreciate and like. Uh, I've actually played as well, which is kind of crazy with my five eight. And, and time cost here, but um, you're five eight. Yeah, you, you sound surprised. Is that is that? Do you just think oh, I was no, smaller I just, or taller? Uh, taller. I just I oh. imagined you being Dutch, and I imagined you being you know. Just no, like that's a, why they kicked me out. I was too small. <laughs> too small. You were throwing off their uh, throwing off their average. You were dragging yeah, them down. Yeah, yeah. They're like, get them out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to promise here that I'll do it for the rest of my life, but I'm still having so much fun and I still have mm-hmm. so many ideas that I think I can work on that. Uh, and, and you know, on top of that, I'm so much enjoying doing this podcast. So, um, well, I'll yeah, tell you what, if, if if we move up to when, when we get up to, to Calgary, if we're there, you know, you, you better be doing it the rest of your life. <laughs> That'll just come knock on your door and drag you out. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, by then I've probably landed a couple of jobs with different teams and stuff. Right? <sighs> yeah, you suck. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I don't think it so, will ever happen, but. What, um, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, briefly earlier that when you were younger, you were into a few sports and, and obviously now. Uh, you didn't, you, you mentioned you didn't get into biathlon until later. So what, what did you, what were you doing growing up and what was your, um, 
what was your relationship to biathlon when when you were younger? Um, I I I tried probably pretty much any sport in the world. I just I sports just fascinate me, and then um, so you know whether it was like I I played soccer a lot, but never in a in a team when I was in Holland because we lived right by a big field. And every time after school, there would be 20 kids showing up and we just played soccer. Um, so there's a lot of sports I, I played like that. But um, yeah, I played. So when I was in hockey, I played ice hockey, ball hockey or roller hockey. Um, Cross country skiing, baseball, soccer with with friends. So not organized. Uh, I even did some swimming. Uh, I did some basketball at some point. Like I, I just, you know, when oh, I played rugby. So whenever I saw something new, I just wanted to try it out. And even watching things like, I remember the BBC would always once a year have the final of Gaelic football or hurling. And I don't know if you've <laughs> ever even seen that, yes. but yeah. just to, I don't know, see something different and stuff. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, like I said, I think my first exposure to biathlon was the, uh, some of the winter games. And then mm -hmm. in Holland, well, when I grew up, you had a couple of Dutch uh, broadcasters and then German broadcasters on Dutch TV. And they always had every event live, basically. So, so my first athletes that I always think of when people ask me about, you know, your favorite athlete or is always people like Sven Fischer and mm -hmm. Frank Luck. And, you know, some of the German athletes, because they, they were the ones that I was most exposed to, because obviously Dutch TV, or sorry, German TV would, would focus on them and then interview them after and stuff. So, um, yeah, and then I probably, so my, I was, I was fortunate, very fortunate to grow up with parents that, you know, were uh, doing, doing well financially and, Uh, they actually had an apartment in Austria, Kirchberg, which is close to Kitzbühel, which is mm -hmm. close to where where uh, Lisa Hauser is from. And uh, <laughs> so we used to go there quite a bit. So I actually was a, a I would say, pretty pretty darn good downhill skier. Um, but then around maybe 20 or so, I just kind of got almost bored with it. Like I still really enjoyed downhill skiing, but I, um, my analytical brain was telling me that, you know, you go out for say eight hours skiing of which you spend six hours in lifts or in line for the lifts. Mm -hmm. And it just started to feel like it wasn't worth it. And then there was just a lot of people on the slopes that were just not really safe and considerate of other people. And it just kind of started fetting up with that a little bit. And then mm -hmm. that's also a time where I was like, oh, I'll just want to try something new. So then I started cross-country skiing on those vacations. And um, obviously in Holland there, you know, at that time there was maybe, if you're lucky, you had a couple of days where there was enough snow to do that, but nothing groomed or anything. Uh, and mm -hmm. my closest place where I could go in the winter was probably the, the called the Hartz or Hertz in uh, Eastern, more Eastern Germany. Which is probably three, three, four hours drive away. Um, so I went out there a couple times, and um, but that's kind of where I really got into cross country skiing. And I, 
did go on a, a week trip with the Dutch cross country skiing federation or something like that, like organized by them. And you would have like mm-hmm. training every or practice every day. And then, so I think that's where I kind of got a foundation for, for technique. And, um, yeah, I've been doing it ever since I, I have downhill skied since I moved to Canada, but usually maybe one, two trips a year. Mm-hmm or per winter. Yeah. And the rest cross country skiing. My wife and I used to cross country ski a lot before kids. <laughs> and then when we had Lucas, I still, we had one of those chariot strollers that you could put skis under. So I did that with him. And then when we had our seconds <laughs> and put them both in there, it just got too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Cause my shape was going down pretty fast <laughs> and their weight was going up. So yeah, it just got to the point that uh, we didn't do that. And then, you know, little couple of years after they started skiing as well. So. It's amazing when you have kids, how quickly you can sort of get out of shape because, oh, yeah. you know, you just want to spend time with them and, and your own working out takes a backseat. So it's, uh, I completely understand that, that you were, that you were even able to do it with one is amazing to me. Yeah, that, that worked out actually. Cause I was in, I was actually in pretty good shape then. Um, I skied quite a bit and then, uh, and I, I like to skate ski and my wife was more of a classic skier. So the speed difference was a bit. I wouldn't say an issue, but it was either for me hard to slow down or, you know, I would just go ahead and catch up and that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, we've, that worked perfectly because I didn't like classic skiing with the chariot behind me because it just always seems to like throw you off. So I skate mm-hmm. skied and then with the added weight, my speed would definitely go down. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, it was actually worked way better. Yeah. And, uh, and Lucas yeah. was really good at, sitting while well, you would just fall asleep from the from the motion and oh, the, the rocking motion in the in the trailer so yeah it worked out really well for one season or maybe two and then things change a bit but yeah and too much weight yeah oh yeah yeah um so then uh at what point did you start watching maybe you maybe this is always something you were doing but start watching biathlon more faithfully 